Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, and it's a new new day in sports. Why? Because the Browns won? The Browns won a football game. You know, they have like a soccer record now. They're 1-1-1. One, one, and one. They, yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. Well, you're, you're getting into soccer now, so... You know, maybe that's the kind of football you're looking for. Yeah. Did you, you stay up? Thursday night game. I know you're not a big Thursday night football fan. Did you stay up and watch? No. Come on. I watched a half hour. I told you. It that. was Baker Mayfield's debut. It's still Thursday night football, and it was still the Jets and Browns. I was just <laughs> happy watching the game, seeing that uh, he's not in a Giants uniform, because that would have not been fun for Eagles fans for the next coming years. Well, wait, are you, are you putting him in, in the Hall of Fame now? No, not at all. You sure? No, but I have watched the Eli face for the ter- yeah. first two weeks of the season, uh-huh. and I'm glad that I see that rather than Baker Mayfield and yeah, Giant Blow. E- Eli, I think, his, his better days are behind him. Yes, no yeah. doubt. But we could get back to it later. Oh, also, did you see the Cleveland police reaction last night to the Browns getting their win? Yes. Uh, they realized that the Bud Light was going to be given away and encouraged everybody to be safe. Good use of Twitter, Cleveland police. Um, so you didn't stay up for the win? You weren't very excited? No, I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, that's nice. LeBron James was celebrating, man. You missed it. Yeah. Isn't he an L.A. fan now? (laughs) (laughs) He's he's, he's in L.A. (laughs) Be gentle, though, because we got a guest in studio who's actually done some stuff with LeBron that we're going to ask him about. So we have Mike Marjama here in studio with us, who, former Seattle Mariner, played seven years in the minors. You got a long bio at the same time, you retired, and now you're an ambassador for the National Eating Disorder Association. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, we wanted to, to have you come in because, obviously, you know we talk baseball. We enjoy that. We've done a lot on the minors this season. You've played with a bunch of the Phillies players coming up in your life, so we can ask you about that. And now, since you moved on from the game, you're sort of raising awareness to an issue that's facing a lot of people in society in terms of eating disorders and how to how to get comfortable. So, Jeff, do you want to start? Where do you want to start? You want to go with the Phillies first? Where, let's start which? with the minor league stuff first. All right. I so mean, since we spend a lot of time with the minor leagues, let's see if you know any of the minor any of the players that are on the Phillies. Oh, now. See, I got plenty of experience in minor leagues. So yeah. You just you keep them. Co- we'll try to keep all the uh, PG stories there. So you all spent right. seven years in the minors. And, yeah. Right. So you you've seen a bunch of different players. Jeff actually saw you play. With right, Canapolis, which was Dale Earnhardt's team, right? It was the yeah. Intimidators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Good old, good old Canapolis, North Carolina. Now, as you're going through a minor league system, do you do you like all the different names that they come up with and stuff, or do you guys just kind of roll your eyes? Jeff's at big it? on theme nights. <laughs> You got to roll your eyes out. I mean, come on. Like you look at the, some of the teams and you're like, what in the world? I well, mean, even worse. What about the jerseys? That, like the special jerseys that they make you guys wear? <laughs> like, are there times where you just go, no, I'm not putting this on? And it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's minor and they're minor league jerseys, too. So it's, you don't get the big league material, right? Mm-hmm. You get like the shabby material that's cheap that they make something out of and not to complain that you get a cool jersey or anything like that but it's not comfortable like he's comfortable you know and then they're and they're always the wrong size go play it's in like it. your number and you're like hey go play in it and you're just like i mean you you end up chris sailing a jersey that <laughs> so what you know well we remember we there we won't name the player Oh, actually, it was who named. would who wouldn't yeah. wear the yes. jersey. So so we were up in Allentown. The Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs had a Philly special night. So they had a, it was it looked like an Eagles jersey as a baseball jersey as a pullover and then had the Philly special play on the sleeve. And there's a couple guys from Minnesota 
who are on their team. And one, and of, them one of them did not did want to put on the jersey, and the coach said, look, if you don't put it on, you don't pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so he, was, he, tried, he put up his own little protest, but he ended up going with it. But what's it like? I mean, you've played with Phillies at different levels. I think we mentioned Nick Williams, uh, some other. No, we mentioned Nick Williams off the air. Oh, yeah, well, that's yeah. we had well, talked I, to you. We're going to have to address Nick Williams yeah. here in a little bit for, for so we'll, we'll adding get, to a concussion. Would you like to say hello to him? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We have some hard feelings still. No, uh, I got a plenty of the guys, though. Sacramento Roots run deep. Uh, Andrew Knapp is a guy that went to uh, went to my high school as well. Uh, actually played with my little brother. Um, you know, Reese Hoskins. We got, um, you know, plenty of guys that are, that are from the area. So it's really cool seeing them succeed and, uh, you know, really having a lot of success here. Um, in Philly, Jeff thinks I have a man crush on Reese Hoskins because I text him every time he hits a home run, which is like a lot. like he and his he and his son basically sit there and time how long it takes me to text them, and then if it takes like longer than tax ten seconds, the response is what took you so long. That that's like what I get back from them. So yeah. uh, I mean, I'm dealing with it. I'm working on it, but I mean, it's kind of cool. He's having a pretty good start to his career. What's <laughs> it What's it like to see somebody that you played with and that you've known since you guys were kids? have that success that they're realizing in the pros you know i think it's tremendous right so we love seeing as just athletes as we love um we love the we love seeing other people's success and i think it's sometimes hard because we want to compare ourselves right we want to be the we want to be the alpha male we want to be the dominant person we want to be um the guy and i think sometimes when we're able to put our egos aside and watch really the greatness of other players. And I think I was so blessed to be around like the Robinson Canoes and, and Chooch. I mean, having Carlos Ruiz in your club, in my clubhouse last year and learning from that man, like it's okay. I don't need to be the dude, but I just want to learn from that guy. Right. So, so one of the great things I always have is just learning from those guys and being able to pick up anything they have to offer. So, um, you know, but seeing those guys you played with your whole life succeed is, is, it's pretty rewarding. See, most people are used to seeing athletes as ultra competitive. So so it's hard, I think, for people to picture who aren't in the locker room that when you see like two quarterbacks and they say that they're helping each other out, people go, how can you be helping each other out? You, you want to win the job. So in your situation, you have Carlos Ruiz in your, in your locker room and you're fighting to win the job. And Carlos Ruiz has all this you know, experience as a World Series champion and everything else. How, what was it like to have him in that locker room, and was he like a, a giving kind of guy? Oh, very much so. So he taught me a lot. He taught me his routine. Like in the third inning, he would go down into the cage underneath, and we'd hit. And then in about the third top, uh, bottom of the third, we would do defensive drills. And then going into the fourth inning, do some work, take a few more swings, the gear's on, then you head down to the bullpen. And that's when you get your work in. And you're warming up guys, and that was your way of getting in work every day. So he taught me his routine. That's how he stayed sharp. But before he wasn't always a backup player. And so then when he became a backup player, it was like, oh my gosh, like he actually has a routine to do it. So I learned that. Like in my career, I was never going to be the starting catcher. That that just wasn't my career path. I'm not a, a Bryce Harper. I'm not a Mike Trout. That's just not the way I am. Uh, that wasn't the type of caliber player I was. Uh, but to be able to pick up on what it took to be like a backup player, I needed to learn. And I think that that's something that we we miss out on, especially growing up, is like the need. Uh, I knew we know the need, but it's the necessity. We have to learn. We have to grow. And what better place to look than the people around you? And I truly think if we, uh, you work together and you push each other, and, you know, that was something that me and Zanino did quite a bit. Was, you know, how can I get better? And if I get better, that means he's going to have to get better. And we're going to push each other. 
And, you know, hopefully that's what you get that internal competition to uh, really breed success. There's a lot of ups and downs as you go through minor league baseball. I mean, people don't, you know, when people say a major league player stinks, you know, and they sit there and, and they boo, I always have to remind the, those people, these, every one of these guys in minor league baseball, like I took a, a bunch of kids when they were 10 to a minor league baseball game, a single A baseball game for my son's birthday. And a co couple of kids go, oh, that guy stinks. I said, by the way, that guy is the best guy in his town, probably the best guy in his region. What's it like to go through not just being the best guy in your town and, and getting drafted and, and, and then going through that process, but also the downs of it? it it's hard. It's hard. It's um, baseball is such a beast in itself because it really is a mental game, right? So you're you're failing seven out of ten times and you're hitting three hundred, like, and that's success. That that is, gets you promoted to the big leagues. That gets you to the yeah. big leagues, right? So how do you deal with failure seven out of ten times, right? So most people, it's crippling. But also, I use this analogy for I used it for my mom and the stress and anxiety and depression things I was feeling in the big leagues. Well, every day you show up to the job, it's not like I had a guaranteed contract. I'm playing a league minimum. Is that good money? Yes. But at any day that can be taken away, I can be sent down. So every single day I show up to the ballpark, I'm preparing my butt off because I don't want to be sent down and I want to stay. Well, you got to imagine that everybody's watching what you're doing. So I, you know, use my analogy to my mom and she goes, could I imagine seeing patients every single day at the hospital and being judged on everything I do? And if I do something wrong or they don't like what I'm doing, I can be sent down. And having 40,000 people staring at you while you're doing it. A hundred percent, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there's a, it takes a very confident, secure person to be able to perform at that level. Not saying that it's, um, you know, we prepare our whole lives for that. Uh, you know, but even going to your point, it's if you want to be in the big leagues, we'll say two guys per position, and there are 30 teams, so that's 60. So you got to be one of the best 60 in the world at what you do. Last time I checked, those odds are pretty. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, let's be yeah. real here. Mm -hmm. So it's you know, and you're not. And there's always someone scratching for your job. 100 percent, mm -hmm. right? So we go against the guys in the Dominican. You know that there. I mean, there really is not very much of a formal education there. So you got guys that are going to baseball academies at 12, 13, 14 years old that they spend their whole life training to become baseball players. Um, and you see, that's why there's such a heavy influence here in in the big leagues so we had when we went to lakewood we interviewed a few weeks ago will stewart and he was a later round draft pick and he talked about the need to really open people's eyes if you're not a top pick people aren't necessarily looking at you you were a 23rd round pick in 2011 you spent seven years in the minors you joke about how you were traded and it wasn't the most exciting thing that's ever happened to you in terms of uh, the ego boost there what is it like to make that statement that led you to at 28 becoming a pro ball player? Oh gosh. Um, the way I view things now is definitely different the way I viewed them then. I think now when I look back at it is I needed to endure that process. I needed to endure the struggles. I needed to, I needed to feel those things in order to really appreciate where I was and to learn um, the things I needed to learn. But when I was growing up, I was like, I'm getting slighted right now. I got traded, you know, and everyone was telling me, oh, you get traded from, I got drafted by the White Sox. I get traded to the Rays and there's for a player to be later or cash. And in baseball terms, that's like a bag of balls and some dip. You know, <laughs> no, like, hey, nothing was, was there you. ever a player? No. Did you ever find out? <laughs> no, who there was never a player. It was like a fungo. They said like, hey, we'll send you a box of left-handed curveballs and you can have this guy. And and you know, I'm, and so I find out later, it's like, hey, you're the least likely player to get injured. And I'm like, oh, well, 
thanks. So I'm not, you know, like, <laughs> so it wasn't, great. We, it wasn't even uh, that we really wanted something. It was that you be there. Yeah, yeah. you could the be best, our The best guy. ability is availability. Yeah. You exactly. Say that, that you there. So like, you could be a good backup guy for us. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, it just, the turn of the tide and where like a lot of my faith comes in is like you, a guy get injured, a guy gets called up and they're like, have you ever played first base before? And I'm like, yep, I played first base before. And like back in my mind, I'm like, I have never even like, what is a first baseman's glove? Like, you know, like <laughs> who's can I borrow? You know, like, so I'm asking around and I get it. And I ended up leading the Florida state league that year in slugging percentage. And then, uh, they make me a catcher again the next year and played well. And then, you know, even last year, kind of, they were like, hey, you're going to be off the roster this year to start. Yeah, and you didn't even expect to be on the team. You expected no, nothing last season. No, really. I was, yeah, I was, uh, I was Durham Bowles, right? The notorious old Kevin Costner. I, I ruined that one for my mom. She loved Kevin Costner. I ended up being a catcher for the Durham Bowles. So she can never watch the movie the same. same. So, <laughs> yeah, it never works for her. She goes, you ruined it for me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I... And it's her birthday, by the it way. It is so her, her birthday. Happy birthday, birthday, Mom. There you go. See, we you. got you Thank covered you for, there. Yeah, that's... You guys are... You guys <laughs> are <awesome>. back. <laughs> Thank you. I would have totally forgot to throw that on, we, so we I got you. you got me. Wait, there. I got a Durham Bulls question. So was there Thanks. anybody like Susan Sarandon there when you were there? No comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there was you someone like Susan Sarandon there. You should have asked him that off the air. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. So you're in... You're, oh, you don't think everybody's thinking that? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Everyone is thinking, right. yes. So you're in You're in Durham. You don't even expect to be on the roster. You, you yeah, don't I know just what hit like expect. 280 and double A, and they're like, hey, you know, we don't really have a spot for you. We had Kirk Casale, who's, who's catching for the, the Reds now, and Luke Maley, a guy with the, um, the guy with the Blue Jays. And we had both of them on the 40 man and then but we also had wilson ramos so another guy that we, and we had derek norris at the time so we kind of were running out of room and we don't really have a spot so we, they had a dfa luke maley which kind of left me out of a spot so they said well you know we can put you on the phantom and send you to durham and the phantom deal for us is for anyone that doesn't really know it's you're going to be on the disabled list but you're not hurt you're just there to be a backup in case something happens right. we want our bus ride down to gwinnett which was the braves triple a affiliate we're on the bus ride down there. Luke Maley gets claimed off of waivers that next day or that night. Sorry. They were like, you're going to be activated for the game. Here you go. And then I end up being in the international league starter in the all-star game down at Tacoma. Two weeks later, I'm traded to Seattle and then make my big league debut later that year, last year. So a pretty tremendous year uh, for me. And that off season, I had a pulmonary embolism as well, which is a, a blood clot in your lung. And, uh, it's just, it was a crazy year. Um, but it makes for one hell of a story. So, uh, And you were on the opening day roster this year. I did, yeah. I yeah. caught opening night at mm -hmm. uh, Safeco with uh, King Felix throwing and facing right, Corey so, Kluber, so, 50,000 there. Ichiro comes back. I'll yeah. tell you what, you want to hear a building rock. Uh -huh. Okay, now I have yet, I confession, I've we'll never send, been to an Eagles game. We'll send you to an Eagles game. That's exactly not not us, but we'll find somebody to send. <laughs> well, this week I believe Carson Wentz is is Carson it's going to be back. very loud. Back. Is, it a, is it a home game? It yes, is a home it is. game. You may want to hang in there. I might have to change my flight. You I might, you might have want to. Stay to. It's going to be. It's going to be the Colts. So it, it's Andrew Luck. Yeah, it's yeah. it's going to be a, a loud stadium on mm -hmm. Sunday. It's going to I'm be. I'm always down, and I uh, I mean, it's gonna how's be Philly tailgating? Oh, Philly tailgates. Are you crazy? Philly See, tailgates. that's I think I, it already started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, so the best part, I, I actually went to the tailgate for the home opener, but not the game. And so I went on and I bought tickets for the parking area for the tailgate without buying a ticket to the game. And my wife goes, you're buying park ticking? tickets to park? I'm like, yeah, that's why I can for get the a good tailgate. spot. Yeah. Because yeah. even parking down there. So yeah, it's oh, it's a good time. Don't you worry. You may you may have to change your schedule. We'll talk about that yeah, after the show. Yeah, we'll, yeah, it's almost we'll, as good as a college football tailgate. So yeah, oh you, gosh, yeah. 
you go from starting the season catching King Felix in front of 50,000 people to becoming an ambassador for the National Eating Disorder Association. And although baseball has been a passion for you, this has been something that's, that's kind of been close to you for pretty much as long as baseball, from what it sounds. Uh, the issue of eating disorder is something that kind of impacted you when you were younger as a wrestler. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because we could talk about baseball all day, but um, you know, kind of your story, you mentioned the, the embolism. That's only a fraction of what you've overcome to get to this point. So in seventh grade, this this yeah. started for you this this challenge that you faced with an eating disorder. Yeah, well, I think I think anyone in kind of my generation, or if you're a parent, you'll definitely understand this. Maybe a kid that's in their twenties. That um, Abercrombie was big. Abercrombie was huge back back when I was going through junior high and high school and, and going through that scene. And I remember in junior high, everyone was carrying around Abercrombie bags, and it was always with their gym clothes or their lunches, and it always had a guy with their shirt off. And I remember thinking, like, I was never the most fit guy. I was never the most athletic guy, but I was like, man, I just wanted to get a girlfriend, and I want to try so hard. And then all of a sudden, these girls are fantasizing about these guys with their shirts off and Abercrombie bag, and I'm like, I'm going to be that guy. Like, that's all I got to do. And so I remember thinking, well, also, if I'm in shape, I'm going to be a good athlete. So it's it's a win-win combination. I'm getting chicks. I'm going to be a good athlete. All I got to do is look like that guy. But I didn't really know how to do it. So I started rationalizing through some things. And I came up with, if I don't eat anything, I just get I won't get any fat. And if I work out a ton, I get big and strong. Because everyone had said, if you work out, you get big and strong. And then we just watch out for fat. And that's kind of what we grew up in diet culture. And, and so I was like, well, okay. Well, that wasn't working. And then I was like, okay, well, you're not doing it good enough. So just eat less and work out more. And then that wasn't working. And as we know, you have to fuel your body. And if you don't, it starts eating itself away. So I was like, well, shoot, I'm going to eat less and work out more. And that wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And then anybody that knows about dieting, you diet for a little bit. And then you hit that, you go to a pizza party or you have, you go over to a friend's house and you were like, okay, I'm just going to have a slice of pizza. And that doesn't turn into just one slice of pizza and you just can't stop. And so you go right. and then you feel shameful about it mm -hmm. and you have all this stuff and you're like, man, I feel so bad that I just had all that food. And now you start guilt tripping yourself. So you come into this big cycle and that's really started for me. So, um, you know, I started in wrestling. I didn't, I didn't even make my junior high basketball team and it wasn't going to be that hard to make that junior high basketball team. Uh, but I really wasn't that good of an athlete. And so when I got into wrestling, I had these pre-existing thoughts of a, of a body image that I wanted. And when I got into wrestling, I started learning how to cut weight. And so I kind of was able to perfect my craft. And I think anybody that grew up in the wrestling world would know that. Um, Cutting weight is, is very difficult. It and is. Wrestling, wrestling is, is unnatural. The same way boxing is unnatural because your, your goal is the day before to get down to the maximum weight of of a level below what you're naturally supposed to be at, so you're the biggest in that level. And at least what I observed and what I experienced, because I wrestled my freshman year, it, it's, it, it's a lot of forcing yourself to throw up, not eating at all, starving yourself, running around in a silver suit, you know, sweating to death, just so you can get to that, that one pound under or a couple ounces under and uh, so I can't imagine if the, uh, I didn't know it still went on so I was kind of surprised when you were telling that story yeah so it, it, it kept going and it, it's funny the things I use is because 
we all have experienced it at some point, probably maybe in diet culture, whatnot. I remember my mom had, my mom had, my dad just had me, my mom just had me and my dad, me and my mom's got this little bit of baby fat and she goes, slim fast was big back then. So my mom goes, well, can you make me a slim fast shake? And my dad goes, yeah, yeah, I'm right. She's getting ready for work. I'll make you a slim fast shake. Well, my dad makes it and comes back and uses my mom. My mom tries it and goes, what the hell did you do to this? They're like, where's my Slim Fast shake? And my dad goes, well, I tried it and it tasted like crap. So I threw in some Hershey syrup and some <laughs> vanilla ice cream. <laughs> you know, but but in that notion, so you it was go, really good. Yeah, yeah. And so you go into that notion, uh-huh. you're like, that's what we experience in diets. We're like, right. can we, how much can we sacrifice, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's what we get in this concept with athletes is like, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't make you better. And so we push no ourselves, pain, no, gain. no pain, no gain. Right. So if we don't push ourselves to extremes, we're not getting any better. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned a lot about body image as opposed to body health. Yes. And, and I think that's one of the overall challenges, both in sports and society, is that people focus on the image as opposed to the overall health. So there are people that hit a number on a scale that are very unhealthy in the way they get to that number versus people who don't hit the number that, that live a very healthy lifestyle. Can you talk a little bit about the the pressure of that image for an athlete? Because oftentimes people think that eating disorder isn't something that impacts men as much as it does women. And the fact is that body image is a, is a much about your own mental thought process as it is anything else. So it's not about gender. It's about how you feel about yourself and whether you're comfortable in your own skin. Can you talk about what that was like for you and how you said sort of your your best asset, your drive became your worst enemy in trying to reach that goal with your weight. Yeah, I think, so for me, my I've always been, so when I was with the White Sox, I won a award. Dale Torberg was our, our strength and conditioning coach, and he was a former, he was the demon, a for, former WWE wrestler. And so he would bring these big weight belts, or like the, the world championship belts, and he'd make them for the hardest working player in the organization. Well, that was me. So I have one of those at home, right? When I got the Tampa Bay Rays, same thing. Get the Mariners, same thing. I've always been the hardest working player. So you got a lot of big belts So at I home? have a lot of big belts at home. <laughs> but the one thing that's crazy is that allowed me to get to the big leagues. But that same tenacity and same focus and same drive is what kind of took me down to almost being dead. Um, shoot, I had a heart rate in the 30s when I was a junior in high school. Um I had lost 14 pounds in two days. And you were admitted to the hospital. And I was admitted to the hospital. Yeah, so I went to inpatient program, and I was admitted with kids that have uh, either tried to commit suicide or overdose. And I remember being in there going, guys, I just want a six-pack. Nothing is wrong with me. Like, I'm not trying to kill myself without even realizing that I am on the verge of almost dying. You actually were trying to kill yourself without realizing it. And so that's where I think we come into... um, whether it be a lot of the mental illness areas, depression, anxiety, we turn to substance abuse or alcoholism, and we turn into coping with things that are going on. And my way of coping is it was coping with it was just not eating. And so as I got into this thing, we know now that if you malnourish yourself enough, your brain does not function properly. So what I would see as normal now or what is not normal now, I didn't see anything wrong with it back then because to be honest with you, my brain wasn't even working. Um, and definitely not to his full potential. So I would so, like to think I was better at that. So, so how do you deal with it now? What what are you what are you doing now to raise awareness for it? And and how do you deal with it yourself? As you're, you've been an athlete for a long time, and once you stop being at least an athlete on, on a, a major league sports level, your body can something. Do you worry about that now that I'm not in, in that structure? that I could fall back on where no, I was before. No, because not? sports psychology saved my life. 
And the reason I say that is we, when I was in treatment, we talked a lot about, I was the only male in treatment, but when we talked about it, it was like, well, we had talked about a mantra and I'm sitting there as a dude, I'm like a mantra or like meditation. You're like, guys, like this isn't like, get out of here. Right. But then all of a sudden you learn about sports psychology. So major league baseball, you're starting to see this more in, in, in the NFL, you're starting to see in the NBA, we have sports psychologists and we have counselors that are coming in. They're doing a better job of how do you train your mind? We expect all our athletes to look like the Spartans from 300. And if we don't, you're like, you're at a deficiency, right? Mm -hmm. But we know it's not the case. So we like to think that we can train our athletes to where their mind is working properly as well. How do you deal with those failures like we talked about before? So for me, there's a recent study done where they did Navy SEALs and they looked at there's 300 people that go in to try to do BUDS training and only 15 pass. Right. So they're like, well, do we lower the standards? How do we get more people to pass? Well, if you lower the standards, we don't have Navy SEALs. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? Well, let's look at those 15 people out of the 300 that passed. And what is the common thread that goes between them? And if you took a guess, you would always be like, well, they were just, they were way better physically. Mm -hmm. The one common thread was optimistic self-talk. Really? Optimistic self-talk. Mm -hmm. So when failures came about, they didn't view them as obstacles. They viewed them as opportunities. They viewed them as places to grow. So it wasn't a failure. It was just an opportunity to get better. And so I think that's something that I've, ta- that I've kind of taken into things is trying to be optimistic, trying to maintain that positive structure in my life. And I use conscious choices to allow that to happen. So that would be my, that's my number one. It is very impressive to be able to frame it that way. And it's, it's really hard for, for people to kind of get to that point. You've obviously overcome a lot to get there. Now you're an ambassador that gets to try and inspire other people and, you know, you're here with us in studio today, but tomorrow you're going to be in Delaware as a speaker at the Nita Walk. Uh, can you talk to us what that's about and what people can expect and how they can find you tomorrow there? Yeah, so uh, at the University of Delaware, like you mentioned, we have the Nita Walk, and, and these, are, these take place all over the country. Last weekend I was in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, this next weekend I'll be in Portland, Oregon, and then I'll be doing a, a briefing with Congress in D.C. actually on October 1st through 3rd. So I'll be traveling around. And really our goal is to raise awareness around eating disorders. And why it's so powerful to me is we don't see it. We don't have men coming out and talking about it. It is emasculating. It is stigmatized. Um, to ignore that fact would be ignorance. So we need to do a better job of telling men that, hey, it's okay to have problems. Uh, when I did my documentary with LeBron James's uh, media company, Uninterrupted, uh, one of our camera guys was a guy that was in the military and su- suffered from PTSD. And he goes, you know, there are times I want to lock myself in the closet. And the same thoughts that you're talking about are same thoughts that I had. To me, it doesn't relate just around eating disorders. It mm-hmm. remains about all mental illnesses. So this walk specifically is tailored with Nita. I'm an ambassador for them. Um, we'll be raising funds. we got a silent auction going on. Deanna and the crew have done a great job of, of setting up this whole thing. So really, it's allowing people to come together as a community because I truly believe that within a community, we can build a strong connection. And by building a stronger connection together, we can really build a community in which people can open up about their problems. Well, and for people who want to participate, uh, they can find more information at nidawalk.org slash Newark2018. Uh, the pre-registration is at 8.30 tomorrow for check-in time. The opening ceremony where you'll be speaking is at 9.30. Uh, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing to raise awareness. Uh, we Jeff and I talk on the show a lot about the platform that athletes have and the ability to normalize issues that, that challenge people individually. You know, we, we grew up with this stigma of what toughness is, of what being a man or an athlete is. And sometimes 
accepting failure is as important as looking in the mirror. And, you know, for you to come out there and put yourself out there and be so honest with your stories, hopefully will help other people that are going through the same thing that, that can sort of get a handle on it. You know, I always used to say with my anxiety, if, if you could just get control, and sometimes it's not about control. It's about realizing you can't get control over it. It's about accepting the situation and making the best in it, you know, realizing the success you can. And so appreciate you coming in and, and being so honest with everybody about this. I, I think it's a great opportunity for them to learn and get involved. I, I just think it's I wish people would go to high schools more and talk the way you're talking because you simplify it in a way that doesn't simplify it to dumb it down, but it's a way that I know, uh, as you're talking, I'm trying to think, it's harder for me to relate to my teenage son. But but I think that if he heard it from you, or all, his classmates heard it from people that are closer to their age, I think it has more of an effect than, than if a teacher tells them. Very much well, so. And, Very and much we, so. we hope that you'll stay in touch with us. So we'd, we'd like Perfect. to hear about how it goes with Congress. And um, we'd like to continue to, to raise awareness to, to this and some of the other challenges that athletes and everyday people face just trying to make it through the day. For sure. Yeah, I know everyday people are still facing it. I get people that reach out on Instagram and Twitter that say, you know, I've, I've had this for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And finally, I felt that I've had the courage to say something by you being able to share your story. And that's what this is about. It's not about me. It's about these people that are really been living with something that they need to get off their chest. And hopefully I'm an avenue that, you know, allows them to have the courage to do so. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Wait, wait, with but the, we started with that there was a story about Nick Williams. Oh, though. God. So we can't let him go. You go ahead. Telling the, so, so, so why okay. don't you tell Apparently you and Nick Williams have a history. Yeah. So I'm in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Kannapolis. We're playing right. in Hickory, North Carolina. Nick is with the Texas Rangers at the that Craw time. The Crawdads, right? The Crawdads, yeah. the Hickory uh -huh. Crawdads. Jeff and all loves team names. I'll tell you what. Yeah, there we are, right? Uh -huh. And they had these powder blue uniform with the red. It was just, yeah. So there was first and third one out late in the game, and I'm kind of new to catching. They kind of got me into it. And ground ball goes to first base. Our first baseman comes charging in, kind of throws it up the line, and I have to pick it. So I bend down. I'm terrible at at spatial awareness now of being new to catching. Mm -hmm. So I get on a picket and my I'm kind of down on one knee. And as I look up, I'm down on the knee like deer in the headlight. Here's Nick just <laughs> boiling down on me, crushes me. Uh -huh. Right. So I get it. Before they change the catcher rules. This is before they change the catcher's rules. Right. So I'm trucked. Were over. you happy? Were you happy that when they changed the catcher rule? <sighs> a, little, a, little, a little too late for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so all of a sudden and then it, this is true minor league story, right? Uh -huh. So then it's firework night. It's a Friday night. Well, if they don't shoot off fireworks, the crowd's going to be When is it off. not fireworks night, It's firework night every, every right. week. Yeah. It's got to be showing uh -huh. up, right? So then all of a sudden, I'm laying in the dugout, and they don't think I, they don't know I have a concussion. I'm not saying anything, obviously, mm -hmm. but they start shooting off the fireworks because right. it started to rain a little bit. They're like, we got to get oh. these fireworks off before the big storm comes. So they <laughs> start shooting off the fireworks. I'm in the dugout with concussion. My head's blowing off. I mean, I'm just <laughs> Lights like, are flashing. Lights are probably. flashing <laughs> everywhere. I'm a hot mess. And then they go, okay, well, the rain is kind of passing a little bit they just got to shoot out the fireworks off the lights they turn the lights back on and then we finish the game did you go back in i went back in oh i was out for like three weeks after that with the concussion wow. and we did the concussion protocols mm -hmm. i failed horribly 
Um, so are you able to root for Nick Williams when you see him in the big leagues, or you still have issues? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I'm like, oh my, like this was one of the worst nights of my life. Thanks, Nick. We'll I see if we can it. work on smoothing that over as yes. we go forward. But we, we do great. wish you the best of luck with everything and appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having thanks me. Thanks so for coming in. Thanks a lot. Stick with us when we come back. We'll uh, get to our Phillies High Hopes minor league rundown and Jeff's top 15 pitchers in the system. We'll be back. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Welcome back to the High Hopes Phillies Minor League Rundown with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. All right, Jeff, before we get to that, let's just recap the last. I mean, that was baseball. That was minor league. That was everything. That was eye-opening, correct? It, it was. It, it, and it's an important topic to have, not just for athletes, but, but for everyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we do have our guest on the line. Nick I know Williams you're... might not have liked it as much. No, yeah. he may not have. But, Jeff, <laughs> why don't you introduce our guest for our minor league rundown show here? I think we have on the line Sal Agostinelli, uh, who is the Phillies yeah. International Scouting Director. Sal, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm getting a little time home. I just got back from the Pacific Rim, and uh, my, my my clock is a little off right now, but um, I'm uh, I'm getting used to. I'm so getting, so so what time what time is it in your world right now? <laughs> well, right now I'm in New York, so it's the same time as Philly. Yeah. But uh, my my head feels like it's two in the morning right now. You are a traveling man. There is no doubt about that. How many days? But for people that don't don't understand how much travel goes into your job, how many days are you on the road? Estimate in a given year. I'd say about two fifty. I'd say between two yeah, two two twenty. 250 depending on a given year um you know it's just you get used to it it's uh you know i love going out i'm i'm blessed to have a job that i'm able to go out every day and get an opportunity to go see players and and try to make the phillies a better organization overall you You got a lot of frequent flyer miles (laughs) no yeah be careful jeff may try and get some of them I almost got five million five million miles on america oh my goodness that's a lot of miles Uh, But but as Phillies fans, we're very happy that you do it. Yes, you're doing us a good service. We appreciate that very much. I I hope I hope doing the best I can for you know the Phillies. You know. So we're we're coming to the end of the season. We're coming to the end of the 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 season for our show, and so we wanted to have you back on. We enjoyed having you on earlier, and we wanted to kind of do a wrap up. So what happens to you now that the season's coming to a close? What what happens with Sal's schedule next? Well, you know, um, basically what's happening is I have to head back. Um, um, I'm going to head back to Japan, actually, here in October. First, I'm going to be going to instructional league. Next week, we bring our whole staff to the instructional league, uh, where all our you know, top prospects are. And um, we'll be in Clearwater from uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, Friday night, they come back to Philly because one of our staff members, uh, 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 Jesus Mendes, our uh, cross-checker in Latin America, he won the Dallas Green Awards. So next weekend, I will be in Philly for that. And, um, you know, I'll be presenting him with the award. And um, and then from there, 
from there I'll be I'm going to um um the week following I'll be going to Japan to see you know any potential free agents that are coming out. I'm gonna go and um basically see see all those players in Japan that are gonna be, you know, posted for the upcoming winter. So um I have to be prepared to give Matt a rundown and Brian a rundown on those guys. All right. Well, we, we don't want you to talk about those because we don't want to give any other teams any ideas. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So looking back on the season, obviously not ending quite as we'd like necessarily on the, on the big level. Um, we had the, the minor league teams, a lot of them in the playoffs, getting the players experience. If you look back on the season, what are your overall thoughts on what you've seen in the, in the minor league system this year from the team and the players that have come up to the big level? Well, you know, the way I examine it from a scouting perspective, the way I examine our system is from the lowest levels and, and going higher, just simply because, you know, the future of our organization starts at the bottom level, you know, and we know what's, the, you know, the future for the, you know, the uh, Philadelphia Phillies um, as far as um, in our rookie ball program in the Dominican Republic, which we have a lot of Venezuelans and Dominicans there. Well, uh, you know, first of all, at our Gulf Coast League, we had three players, eight possible position players, we had three players, uh, Luis Garcia and um, uh, Nicholas Torres, the second baseman. Luis is a shortstop who led the league in hitting. He's only 17 years old. And um, and we also had the catcher, Aparicio, a Venezuelan kid that won, you know, was voted as the all-star catcher. So, you know, three, three, three players out of the eight possible out of 16 teams in that league is very good. So, I mean, you know, I look and, at and that. Lu- and, Luis, and Luis played at Williamsport, too, at the end of the season, right? Um, oh, no, no, no. No, no. no. Okay, no, Luis didn't go. No, I don't believe so. But, but anyway, like I said, he's a 17-year-old kid. who's was a hell of a shortstop. You know, he can really pick it. He can run. He had 12 stolen bases. So, you know, the future looks – and then as I move up the line, you know, we went up, you know, in Williamsport. You know, we had, you know, guys that, I, that were – we had a young team. People didn't understand that we sent almost – you know, Joe Jordan and, and, and the guys sent a, a very – you know, an 18-year-old – you know, a lot of 18-year-old kids and 19-year-old kids to the New York Penn League. So, you know – the, the the team was just okay, but they got a lot of experience playing and you know at that level against college players because basically it's a college league. But if you looked at it, we had a lot of we were probably one of the youngest teams in the league, which is was good. Um, you know, um, you know, we sent um, you know I'm trying to think, you know, uh, uh, Brian Gonzalez, and we sent Guzman up there, That's and Mochan, yeah. yeah, the 19 year old kid, you know, who was the all star catcher in that league. Was a very hit 295, did real, real well. And, um, you know, overall, the pitchers, we had Mesquita up there, the lefty, and uh, the kid Silva, who made the all star team. And then we had our big righty. Um, I mean, we, we, you know, and then we move up to uh, Lakewood where Duran, you know, Duran had an unbelievable year, you know, absolutely unbelievable year. I mean, you know, as you move up the line, you know, Pujols was the MVP of the Florida State League, which was, he had a big rebound here, you know, and, He's good. I think he has a chance to be a real impact guy up so, the line if he continues. You know. Well, so, so anyway, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, no. But so, so let me ask you about Jose Pujols. I saw him years yeah. ago uh, sure. at, at, at the GCL level, um, yeah. and, and people had a lot of a lot of hope for him. He was one of those sure. guys who uh, they thought I think thought was going to be an early bloomer. He had a couple years where he played well, but he wasn't a star. I think he's at the end of the he's at the point where he's going to need to be protected, right? Yes. yes so, absolutely. so, so this year he just took off. He is as the as you said the MVP of the Florida State League and got and and was promoted to to Double A. What what do you think was that got it to to finally click for him? Because we always try to preach patience to people. People think that a lot of these minor league kids 
are, are complete failures if by the age of 20 they're not the next Mike Trout. And I, I use as an example of that of Moniac, where at the beginning of the season people were all over him, and I kept preaching patience, and people kept giving me a hard time. Jose Pujols right. is an, another one of those examples of it, patience is paid off for you guys. But what was it about? Uh, what is what did you guys work on with him that that all of a sudden it seems to have clicked? Pitch recognition. Um, you know, it took him a long time to lay off the breaking ball. He's a big, big time power guy. You watch him take batting practice; it's he, you know he leaves you in awe of the power he has. Um, it's just you know I I went in and saw him just to tell you last year, and he swung at every breaking ball in the dirt outside, and they kept throwing, throwing. This year he just didn't swing at those pitches. And it takes time at every level. Sometimes, look, there's only so many Mike Trouts in the world. But, you know, our minor league people did a good job of being patient with him. Um, they could easily say, ah, oh, he had a terrible year, let's move on. But it's the pitch recognition, you know. These guys try to get these young kids out with breaking balls. You know, college guys come out of school and they know how to pitch. They got pitching moxie. And that's their job, you know, to get these guys out. And the guys who make the adjustments wind up going to the big leagues and being better. And it took Jose Pujols quite a while to learn that and I think that that's what it's all about and I think he's he's really I mean I saw it it was it was amazing you know and hopefully he does it at the double and triple a level and he'll be in the big leagues and he'll have a great career so so now so now we move to the other side of the ball with regard to pitching and some of the pitchers that seem to have clicked that guys that you that you went out and scouted for and got were one of the guys I think is interesting is Mauricio Yovera uh, yes, I don't think he's a lot. You know, people focus on Sixto Sanchez and Adonis Medina and, and those guys. But what is it about Mauricio that that he seems to have, have clicked at uh, single A this year? Well, you know, he's always had an explosive fastball. You know, he's up to ninety eight. Um, you know, he's anywhere he sits at ninety five. Um, he's a bulldog. You know, he's not a real big guy. He's only five foot eleven. You know, six foot. Um, and he's got you know he's got a feel for a slider and he's got a feel for a changeup. Um, you know, Rivera has got a really good arm. It's just that, you know, when you got Medina and, you know, six foot three and you got Sixto sitting at 100, you know, you kind of – people forget that, that there's another guy there. And, and, you know, I really like Rivera a lot. You know, we're, we're, we're very fortunate to get him. And um, if, if he's our backup plan, that's a pretty good backup plan. Let's put it that way. Because he's got – you know, he's uh, – He's going to come on, and I, and I think he'll be in the big leagues here within the next year or two. And as far as Sixto goes, so what was it like the first time you saw Sixto pitch? Well, you know, it, you know, Sixto is just an amazing athlete. You know, he's not a very big guy. He reminds me of, look, I don't want to say this on the air, but people may take it. I mean, he looks a lot like Luis Severino from the Yankees. He's not a real big guy. Um, but um, Jeff, you know, obviously, Jeff always goes with Pedro Martinez. Yeah, Pedro Martinez, right. He's a little thicker he, than Pedro, but God, I'm sorry. He, yeah. he try he tries not to do he does the same thing he goes not like I'm trying to compare him to him but in terms of what he looks like <laughs> well yeah well he's not quite as skinny as Pedro but you know you know what he's with Sixto Sixto is is a very athletic kid for for size and he just does things so easy and meaning in his delivery you know being that he's such a good athlete it all it all flows so easily you know the arm works it's, it's it, you know even if he gets a little out front his arms quick enough where he can catch up he does so many things good um and I think you know. His release point is consistent, and on top of it, he's got a strong lower half, which creates just unbelievable torque. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, when you're sitting at 98 to 101, you know, it's, it's, 
It makes it a little bit easier to get guys out, but I think his athleticism and his strength is what makes him special, in my opinion. You've mentioned, you mentioned the strong lower half. One of the things that, that I found interesting is I recently read an article about that, that your, the system is promoting more of using the bottom half of the body. Um, yeah. so, so, so tell us about how that helps with, with the pitchers that you have in your system and what the benefit of that is. Well, let, let me give you this. Number one, we have a pitching coach. You know, I'm not quite sure, but, you know, the fans in Philly are worried. We have a guy in the minor leagues. His name is uh, Chavi, uh, you know, Ra- Ra- uh, Rafael Chavez, who came over from the Dodgers. He has this theory about being connected to the rubber. If you look at most pitchers when they deliver the baseball, if you look at their back foot, a lot of times you'll see them. They'll vault themselves forward, and they'll, they won't stay connected. I don't know if you get what I mean. Yeah. Um, and what happened is I've been watching them, and, you know, I, you know, I like learning. I've been doing this 30 years, but, you know, every once in a while you look and you say, wow, man, you learned something new. He just said, look, look, look. And I never really looked at that. I mean, but every time, he, the more he got guys connected to the rubber, the more these guys increased their velocities. It was amazing how, how a strong lower half connected to the rubber creates more, obviously, torque and, you know, velocity out front. I mean, I mean, I'm giving them guys throwing 91, 92. I turn around, we got guys throwing 95. Everyone in our system is throwing 93, 94, 95. It's amazing. Not everyone, a nice, you know, a nice, you know, a portion of them are thrown harder. It's it's amazing. Is, it's due to Raphael who's, who's done that. Is so it, that's something that can be taught. Like when you see a pitcher and they're at a certain yes. velocity, then they can come into the system and be taught. To, to keep themselves more on the rubber to get that torque and velocity even higher? You can work with them on that? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he, he's done that. And you may say, well, why doesn't everyone? You know, I, I, think, I think what it is is everyone increases their velocity. I mean, there's some, uh, you know, some that don't. But generally, we can teach guys to do, you know, do that. And, and, and it's been evident by all, you know, all the players that I've seen over, the, you know, over these last five years that Chavi's been here that it's just amazing at the, the, the increase in velocity. And I, I don't know if every single one, but I can tell you, a lot of them have, have really improved, on, you know, by doing that, you know. And um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, Sal, one of the, one of the things that, that I think Jason and I have learned from doing this, the, the minor league show this summer, is, is between the scouting that, that, is, that is under your tutelage and – the minor league coaches, people don't understand how important all of that is in addition to having the raw talent that players do. And, and there's so many of these talented guys that just don't make it to the major leagues because they, they don't do these things or don't have these kind of coaches. And the Phillies are blessed with a bunch of managers and coaches that, that I think are going to develop a lot of the players that you've discovered. Well, you know, you make a real good point. I mean, the continuity between Johnny, myself, and the minor leagues, and, you know, we have a guy, you know, and you guys know him, is George Volandia, who's done a fantastic job. Um, you know, he's been, you know, a liaison between us and the minor leagues. Um, you know, I spent the whole month in spring training with Joe and, and the guys. And, you know, me being the next player, I know most of the co- a lot of the coaches I played with, or I played for, or I, and I was a coach. Um, I just think that, you know, honestly, we, we do have a very good – minor league system we have good coaches they care about the kids they have a good philosophy on how they want to you know how they want to you know progress and, and how the kids should progress and and they just do do a great job i mean you know it, it's good like if i go in and i see something that i don't you know i see a kid doing something wrong but it's opening up you know i, I mentioned it to one of the guys and you know they discuss it and we talk about it it's 
it's a pretty open forum for us to kind of communicate. And I think that we're very, very lucky. I'm very lucky because these guys have gotten a lot of guys to the big leagues for me over the years. And, you know, right now we're, you know, we've had over 30, you know, I, I, we have over 37, 38 international players have gotten into big leagues in the last 15, 20 years. And it's a testament to those guys at the minor league level, because without them, we don't, we don't get anybody to the big leagues, honestly. Well, we wish you that continued success, getting more players up to the big league and hope you have safe travels to Japan. Looking forward when you get to Philly so we can catch up and pick your brain, but we thank you so much for joining us on the show this season and giving us some insight into how you shape the system and the team that we get to cover and watch. Well, thank you very much. Like I said, I'm blessed to, Let's have a job like this, and, and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, I'm sure next year we'll be looking forward to uh, 2019. Look forward to it. Thanks so much, Sal. You have a great day. Thank you, guys. You have a great day. Jeff, I get excited just hearing about the prospects and where he's traveling to, and I mean, can you imagine 250 days on the on the road? Look, look it's, it's very hard for a lot of people in Philadelphia. The, the season did not end the way that we thought it was going to end. Not over yet, Jeff. I know, but... but uh, People need to look technically, but people have to remember <laughs> this was not supposed to be the year that they were winning the World Series. I asked you that last they, year. They they last have week. They're, they've developed, and I think that they have some core players. They're going to have to weed out and, and make some trades and move things around. But the p the players that they have underneath are being developed well, well and I think that's the key. And and so now we have. Let's talk about the pitchers. Let's talk that about the, the players underneath. Last week, you gave us our top 15 hitters. Yeah. Um, while there are some solid bats in the system, little, little question about the depth there. On the side yeah, of the all, arms. All you, all you got to do is hit on a couple of those hitters. And Jose Pujols might be Maybe that the guy. guy. Yeah. But on the side of the arms, there's no shortage of quality pitchers right. in this system. Now, now, are there 15, 20 aces? No, but, but there's a couple. Th th there are a couple guys in here, and that uh, and Mauricio Rivera is one of those guys that, that to watch. And you know, I forgot to. Ask I was just Sal. happy you were able to say his name. <laughs> well, I don't know <laughs> if I said it right. <laughs> Mauricio wasn't here to say it wrong, but <laughs> so let's let's go through your list. Obviously, you have Sixto at number one. Yes, Sal seems very enthusiastic about him. What he talked about, you know, staying connected to the rubber was interesting. Um, because I guess that's how somebody with more of a slight body yeah. can generate more power without throwing out their arm. Right. Now, Sixto's always had a, a, a fluid delivery, and I don't think you can get much faster than 100, 101 miles an He's hour. working on it. Uh, yeah, uh, but I don't, I don't know if you want that. No, it, you how need many, movement. How many of those guys don't end up having Tommy John? Look, I don't want him to overthrow the ball. You need movement right. on the ball as much as you need speed and power because mm -hmm. you could throw a 100-mile-an-hour ball, and if it's down the center of the plate, somebody's going to make sure that that launch angle that yeah. you hate so much ends yeah, up far, far, far away. But, but with, <laughs> you know, Sixto's going to have a chance supposedly in the Arizona Fall League, and, and the Arizona Fall League should be fun to watch. I know people. a lot of people don't watch. It, oh wait, wait! Are you talking about watching well, off-season or preseason something? I do watch the Arizona Fall. So wait, so you will never yeah. say anything to me about watching preseason basketball or summer league or any of that stuff because you watch the Arizona Fall League, correct? You've now lost a leg to stand that, on in that argument. It, it is bad because not only that, you can't even like buy Arizona Fall League jerseys or anything. No, you <laughs> can't, and yet you still find a way. So now that you All won't right. make that argument, so let's move again, on to number two. Let's go to JoJo the Jet, yes, who we uh, had a great time talking to earlier in the season. Yeah. Really 
Um, his perspective was very good. Talk about him a little bit. Jo- Jojo's the guy. He's a left-handed pitcher. To me, he's the he's probably the best left-handed prospect they have in their system. Um, jo- Jojo uh, has about a half dozen different pitches, which is kind of a problem. Tell him more. He's got and, eight. Well, and we talked we talked to not only him about it, but, but we talked to, we talked to Steve Schrank, who wouldn't let him coach, throw half of them, right? <laughs> and, and said that, that you have to find time. So you know, you work on before the game when you're warming up. Which ones feel good to you? And and focusing on that and and JoJo had figured that out after about ten starts and was really doing well at Double A and then they had to shut him down. He had a broken rib, I think, is what the situation was. But JoJo's going to come back and I, I would suspect he'll be in Triple A and, and I would not be surprised if he's on the roster by the end of next season. Something to look forward to yeah. for Phillies on the big roster. Your number three pitcher had some postseason to follow up his season. Spencer yes. Howard Spencer Howard. throwing one no-no and almost going five innings it, or something like it, that it into was, a second one he in had, the playoffs. He had an amazing and, – and he had one of those seasons that, you know, you kind of went through because people look at records, and you should never look at records when you're a minor league pitcher because it just has no – there's no evidence that, that it actually does something. But if you look at his stats besides – pitching a no-hitter in the playoffs to clinch that round, by the way. So there's a lot of pressure on him. He was a second-round pick out of Cal Poly. He threw 112 innings, but here's what's impressive. He had 147 strikeouts in those 112 innings. He, he had a nice whip of 1.26. He's got four different pitches, and he's one of those guys that throws consistently 94-95, and he can get out to 98 if he needs to. So and you, and he's a, he's another one to watch who could be a number two or number three pitcher. In the so where do you think he starts next season? Um, I think he'll Redding? start. No, I think he'll start at Florida State League. So you think he's in Clearwater? Yeah, but I think by the by mid season, I, yeah. I would suspect that if things go as planned, that he's he's going to end up in Double um, A. Uh, Cole Irvin, you have at four, maybe one of your most favorite pitchers in the system. Uh, one of my favorite people. He he just he really is a well-rounded person. I think that the Phillies can't wait to have him up because he's going to be one of those. He will be. I one was of the surprised most he didn't player. come up in in the September. Call-ups. I think most people, even in the organization, were surprised that Ranger was, was, was ahead of him. Was that just a forty-man roster thing that they didn't yeah, go there? I mean, I, I was think, really surprised yeah, that, uh, given how he pitched and and what he poses for the team, that. They didn't bring him up to get that experience. Yeah, and I I, th- I think he will be a middle of the rotation, back of the rotation, consistent guy. Um, and I think that, that people should not sleep on him. Okay, so you brought up Adonis Medina yes. to, to Sal. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me Adonis Medina and David Parkinson. You have it five and six. Tell me why. Well, Adonis Medina is just a guy who's, <clears throat> who seems to have a lot. And that's who a lot of the teams wanted. Um, that that's who the Orioles wanted in the Machado trade, supposedly. Now th- there are other rumors they wanted Medina and they wanted Sanchez both. So yeah, no way, go yeah, pound so, so let the Dodgers have Machado and let's hope we can get him in the off season. Parkinson is a guy who was the South Atlantic League Pitcher of the Year. Uh, he, the problem is he does not have a super fastball. He's an eighty-eight to ninety-two mile per hour guy. Uh, but he's he's very very accurate, and he moved through, and he did really well at Florida State League. He was another guy we had on the show, Connor Seabolt. You see, have him at seven before Ramon Rosso and Mauricio Lavera. See, see, he did very well at Clearwater. Moved him up. They tried to challenge him. When we were there, there were people in the organization who were kind of saying, you know what, maybe it was too soon for him. 
And he was really down on himself when we interviewed him. He was. He had had a tough start. And, you know, it, it was interesting for us to go through the season interviewing these players because some of them would come off good games, some of them come off down games. Mm -hmm. And to watch how they manage it themselves, as, as Mike talked about, managing the failure yep. of the game. So mm -hmm. was, he definitely recovered and he did. pitched strong. Mm -hmm. um, so Ramon Rosso and Mauricio Oliveira. Obviously, Sal feels good about them in terms of where they are in the system. You've got Ranger Suarez at 10. Were you, were you surprised? I the, thought that he would be higher in your list, given that the Phillies brought him up. One, Well, he, they brought him up because he's on the 40-man roster, so it's the easier thing to do. Uh, I think even people in the organization were kind of surprised that he he jumped Cole Irvin in that spot, but Cole wasn't needed, didn't need to be protected at that point. Um, Ranger's a little older than most. He is a command pitcher. He's not overpowering. Uh, you got to hope that he get, he can hit ground balls. All right, we're going to run through the yeah. last couple. We've got De Los Santos, who we got in the Galvis trade. Worked out very well there. Well, it worked out well for, as far as him being a AAA pitcher. Yes. I'm still not sold on him. That's why he's 11. Is he going to be a reliever or is he going to be a starter? I don't know. I, I, you can't tell. Him Vinny it, Velasquez. Yeah, I mean, he's done okay in relief for the Phillies, but I, I just don't see it. I don't see I don't see an out pitch. All right, we spent plenty of time talking to Will Stewart. He found it this season. Yeah. Uh, he figured out the way that he needs to pitch. He needs to pitch to contact. Right. I'm going to be interested to see as he, he loses in the he system. Ha he has the the highest ground ball rate in the system, 62%. He does, But he had the lowest strikeout rate of any other pitchers at single A. Uh, Zach Warren, Kyle Young, and Ethan Lindau. And before I say, Kyle Young is the person who made me feel shortest when we went anywhere because he's 6'10". Kyle Young's also the guy who had 100, 100 strikeouts in 56 innings. He's a tall dude. <laughs> I mean, Zach Warren did. Zach Warren yeah, did. Kyle, Kyle Young is yeah, a tall dude. Right. Um, and then you have some off-the-radar people. Right. Victor Santos, you've got Connor Brogdon with honorable mention. you so got a minute. Very quickly. Very Vic quickly. Victor Santos is a guy who was in their Gulf Coast League, and he throws about 93, and he has this advanced slider. But here's the thing to, to look for. He pitched 59 innings. He had 65 strikeouts and four walks. Jeff, that's your, four last, walks. That's your last word for the show this season. <laughs> It's been fun traveling around with now, you. Now, the Twitter site will still be up for all the Arizona Fall League and trades and all of that stuff. So you so, can follow yep. us at High Hopes Phils and, and our stay website. updated and check our website. And we'll have an announcement soon about And we'll about talk about else. what we're doing next. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.